Hello and welcome to the Full Fact Podcast, where we tackle dishonesty, untruths and misrepresentation in politics and the media. I'm Alexis Conran and I'll be talking about the biggest stories of the week with independent and impartial fact checkers from the Full Fact team. Now, the news agenda this week has revolved around one thing, Freedom Day. We'll move away from legal restrictions and allow people to make their own informed decisions about how to manage the virus. So what does that actually mean? Well, from July the 19th, there will no longer be a legal obligation to wear face coverings. There will be no more one meter plus rule and the remaining businesses still closed like nightclubs can reopen. Basically, it's sort of back to normal. But this announcement has had its share of pushback and controversy. Now, to wade through it and shed some more clarity on the situation, Full Fact CEO Will Moy joins me now. Will, welcome back. Hi, Alexis. Let's have a look at the justification of this unlocking. The, the claims are that there is a weakening between the link of, of COVID cases and death. So looking at the figures, is that the case? Well, some people are describing it as breaking the link. The chief executive of NHS providers, sort of trade body for organizations in the NHS, is saying the link has been broken between cases and deaths. The chief scientific advisor, Patrick Valance, famous from our TV screens, says just that the link has been weakened. What we can definitely say is that the link has changed since the second wave. While cases are going up at a similar rate, hospitalizations and deaths are both increasing more slowly. On the 1st of July, for example, the UK recorded 27,000 cases. The last time the cases were that high was on the 26th of January, which you'll remember, of course, we were all in lockdown. But if you compare the deaths recorded on those days, you can see the difference. 13 deaths on the 1st of July versus 1,061 COVID deaths on the 26th of January. And at this point, over 45 million people in the UK have had one jab and 33 million of those are double vaccinated. So we can certainly see the impact of vaccination um, in limiting how many cases turn into uh, hospitalizations and into deaths. But there is still an increase in hospitalizations, albeit a very small one. But with the lifting of these uh, all precautions or measures against COVID-19 from the 19th of July, are we expected to see hospitalizations rise as the number of cases go up? Yes. I mean, the more people get COVID, the more people will end up in hospital. Uh, the Hope and expectation is that happens a lot less quickly than it did before vaccinations coming in. But yes, there would there would be an increase in people going to hospital, even people dying if cases go up. Um, the the choice the government is making is essentially making a decision about the uncertain scientific evidence about what will happen, how quickly and how far, and balancing against all the other things that matter, including people's freedom to make their own choices, the economic impacts of the pandemic, and so on. But on pure health question, if cases go up, then we expect hospitalizations to go up. Now, we seem to be heading full steam ahead to another divisive issue uh, in the country, and that is the issue of mask wearing. The Prime Minister made his point that we're moving from government diktat, as he likes to say, to um, 
a situation where people can make their own minds, take on their own responsibilities. There is a lot of controversy surrounding masks. Let's have a good look at what masks do, what we know they do, what we know they don't do. Well, picking up on what you said, you know, and let's take the masks as they stand, but it's well worth remembering just how intrusive the government's rules have been over the last year. We have been in an extraordinary situation. So well worth keeping that context in mind. But also go back a year and a half as it is now to the beginnings of a pandemic and really nobody knew very much. Do you remember wiping down surfaces because everybody thought that the virus might last on surfaces longer than we expected? Um, You know, fears of door handles and goodness knows what else. I know know many people who are wiping down um, every item that they were buying in supermarkets. So all food produce were wiped down and then everything was disinfected. Exactly. And that was a precaution taken essentially because of uncertainty about how long does this virus last on surfaces. So back when all of this started, people didn't know a lot, including the biggest experts in the world, didn't know a lot that they could say with confidence about how the virus spread. Last February, the World Health Organization's advice on face masks was, if you're healthy, you only need to wear a mask if you are taking care of a person with suspected COVID infection. Two months later, they changed it to wearing a face mask is one of the prevention measures that can limit the spread of COVID. At that time, though, the English authorities, Public Health England, were recommending against the use of face masks in the community, saying there is very little evidence of widespread benefit. It was only in May that they updated their advice saying face masks may help you protect others and reduce the risk of the disease. So we've gone from February to May, in a way of discovering lots about the virus that wasn't known before, gone from polishing our apples to wearing face masks, um, recognizing and learning more about the fact that the virus spreads through exhaled droplets. And that's why masks might make some difference to how far COVID transmits. Let's unpick, because I know full fact, I've done many, many fact checks surrounding masks. One of the most often cited um, Uh, studies is this famous Danish study on mask effectiveness. It seems to be the one that's referred to the most from people who are, um, let's say, against the wearing of masks. Uh, They claim that this landmark Danish study proved that masks make no difference whatsoever. Full fact looked into this study. What did you find? Landmark Danish study, and we're all familiar with Danish landmarks this week um, as they (laughs) fly back home. But the I'm sorry. You got the football. Small. You got the football reference right in there. Uh, uh, kudos for that. <laughs> um, salutations to the Danish football team, but slightly fewer salutations to the researchers behind this study. The Danish study found that mask wearing does not significantly reduce the rates of COVID infection. The study found no significant effect for face mask wearers. The thing is, it did not find that they were not effective in preventing others from catching the virus. And so this study, which was about the effect on wearers themselves, has become a real reference point for people saying, you shouldn't wear masks. There's no benefit in wearing masks at all. But the benefit of wearing masks is not just about the benefit to you personally. It's about restricting the transmission of viruses from you to other people. Um, And that's what the study wasn't about. Also, Peer-reviewed Stanford paper, sounds sounds pretty impressive. Uh, it shows that face masks don't work. What about that? Stanford paper, a great uh, university, peer-reviewed. Uh, well, that sounds pretty conclusive to me, Will. 
It does sound that way, except it wasn't peer-reviewed, it wasn't from Stanford, and it's now been retracted. Unfortunately, we do still frequently see it cited on social media as evidence, but it's not. All right, so we know that from the 19th of July, masks are going to be optional for people to decide whether to use them or not. So having done all these fact checks surrounding masks and their effectiveness, what can we tell people? Are they effective? Is wearing a mask, does it make any difference whatsoever? Well, the virus is commonly transmitted in droplets that you breathe out. And that means mask wearing for people who appear healthy can help to stop the transmission of COVID to other people. They call it source control. The key point is that the benefit from masks is not that they stop people catching the virus, but they might help to stop people spreading it. It's certainly not a magic wand. It's certainly not a cure-all. It's one of a range of measures that might help. Okay, well... I guess people are going to have to make up their own minds on that. Uh, Looking at uh, some other stories that we covered, uh, Will, particularly on the last podcast, uh, we we talked about the former health secretary, Matt Hancock, and their health minister, Lord Bethel, and their reported use of personal email addresses to conduct government business. Now, we discussed why that should be a no-no. But since then, the information commissioner has launched a formal investigation into the use of private correspondence channels at the Department of Health and Social Care. Now, does that mean that there's evidence that this has happened? And and what is the threshold for an investigation like this? Well, we know that private correspondence channels have been used to some extent. Um, and the information commissioner has quite a wide remit to investigate things that she thinks are important. What she said this time is that the use of private correspondence channels does not in itself break freedom of information or data protection rules. But she says, my worry is that information in private email accounts or messaging services is forgotten, overlooked, auto-deleted, or otherwise not available when a freedom of information request is later made. Or in other words, we have these transparency rules, but they might be good for nothing if people are just using WhatsApp or Signal. Them stepping in will make sure that our transparency rules continue to have teeth. And I think it's a good thing that they're doing the investigation. So as part of the investigation, do we know what the next steps are? Are, Is it likely that Matt Hancock and Lord Bethel are asked to hand over uh, the details to their accounts so they can be looked at to hand over their phones. I mean, how? Because we discussed this last time. How can an investigation like this possibly take place when the user of that private account could have used this time to just delete any pertinent messages? Yeah, and I, I don't know exactly what enforcement powers the information commissioner has, but I suspect that their concern is not so much about these particular messages and what happened in this case as drawing a line across government and saying, stop doing this, or these are the rules for using private correspondence channels. So this is only a guess. I don't have any private information. But if I were them, I'd be less worried about exactly what did the Department of Health do over the last few months, which is what the investigation is officially about, and slightly more worried about saying to the whole of government, we are paying attention to this, and we want you to be careful and make sure that your dealings are actually transparent. Uh, Now, look, 
Well, let's finish off the podcast this week with an update on some successful campaigning by Full Facts, some good news, uh, some payoff, if you like, because there have been some updates on election legislation. What has been decided? Yeah, there's been some very exciting news this week, actually. Back in 2018, we pointed out that Britain's election laws were out of date and needed updating. In fact, before the 2019 election, we described them as dangerously out of date. And so did the Department for Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee of Parliament. Um, They called for emergency legislation. There were two big changes we asked for back then. We asked for a change in the rules on election campaigning. So you have to put your name on every Thing, whether it's offline uh, that you put through the post or online on the internet. Those rules have always existed offline, but they haven't been updated for the internet age. This week, the government introduced legislation to do that. Uh, so that's a big step forward. We need to scrutinise it. It's going to go through Parliament. We'll be looking at whether it does the job it needs to do. But digital imprints, as they're called, are going to become law. That's a big step forward. So so just to clarify, well, if if a, a political party create an advert that is masked as a competition or something that just looks a bit innocuous, but actually has been created by a political party to pass on a message or to get shared or whatever it is, they have to make it abundantly clear on that advert, on that digital ad, that it's been paid for and created by this political party. Well, they have to say that it's been paid for and created by this political party, but abundantly clear is putting it a bit strongly, I'm afraid. You might have seen in the leaflets you get in the post at election time in tiny letters on the side, paid for and promoted by blah, blah, blah. This is requiring that. It's requiring things to be traceable. Things should be abundantly clear. It should be obvious when a political party is campaigning at you. Instead, we've seen leaflets dressed up as if they're polling cards. We've seen leaflets dressed up as if they're local newspapers. That's another problem, and that's something we need to tackle. But at least the era of untraceable campaigning by political parties online is going to end. And that is a step in the right direction, but certainly not the last step we'll be looking for. Okay. And, and also there's, there's, there's a little bit more to this story because the Committee for the Standards of Public Life has come out in favour of legislation to require advertising transparency for political ads. Yes, this was their recommendation this week. They've done a major report on election finance. And one of the things they've said political parties pouring millions of pounds into online adverts, there should be a legally required online database of online political adverts so that that can be scrutinised. That's the other big change we've been calling for for several years now. It's very important. I hope that the Committee of Standards in Public Life recommendations will be taken up by the government and the Elections Bill is an opportunity to put that rule straight into law so that it's enforced well in time for the next general election. And that's certainly what we'll be pushing for. So what will we be able to see there, Will? Will we be able to see who's paid for what? Well, this is the detail we need to get into. What we need to be able to see is the contents of the adverts, who they were targeted at, how much money was spent, and how how many people they reached. Um, Too often, and in the internet company's own online advertising, they give you very little detail about the targeting. So they'll tell you essentially age, sex, and location. But what you really want to know is are the political parties using their national advertising budgets to just pour things into marginal constituencies, or are they actually saying different things in different places, or are they running one campaign to the whole country? That's what we want to be able to scrutinise. So we need full details, full transparency of a content targeting reach and spend of online advertising for this to be a really effective measure. So this all has to pass through Parliament. Do you see it getting through without too much 
uh, too many amendments to sort of water it down? Well, the digital imprints is in the government's bill. The government had put it there. So we need to look at that. It was only released yesterday and work out whether it's doing the right job. If not, we will be suggesting how it can be made stronger to parliamentarians. Um, the Committee of Standards in Public Life has just made a recommendation. It is up to the government whether they take it forward. And that's something that we hope the government will do. Uh, it's something that has already been tried voluntarily by some of the internet companies. So the precedent is there. Um, but it is up to the government to make the next move. And we hope they do that in the elections bill. We'll certainly be calling for that. OK, Will, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends to help stop the spread of bad information. Full Fact is independent and impartial. And you can read more about our commitment to neutrality at fullfact.org forward slash about. We'll be back at the same time next Friday morning.